Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. If you're able, go ahead and uh, please rise for the reading of the scripture. Uh, The reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. May God bless the reading of this word. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Again. How's everyone doing? Good? Good New Year? I was um, telling Laura and Scott in the back earlier that it feels like I haven't seen you guys for a month, but I just saw you last week. And it's amazing the amount of like living you can do in a week right, like rushing here and there, and I don't know if the holidays were, were crazy for you, but, you know, multiple places we're doing Christmas, and you, know, you get married, and you have another family you have to, like, take care of, and you do all these things, and going and see friends that you hadn't seen, um, you know, almost the entire year last year, and, um, and birthdays and anniversaries, we, we just had this just tumultuous week that, um, um, there's so many things. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm amazed at all the things we could like, fit into that small amount of time. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, you could be anywhere else, but we're really glad that you came to join us. And um, my prayer this morning is that God would speak to me as we look at the book of Ephesians. So let's pray real quick. Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we offer up again this time to you. Lord, I pray even now for, for my spirit, Lord, would you... Help me to calm down and just focus on you, Lord, that the words that come out this morning would, would be yours. Father, your people would be blessed. So, Father, would you reveal yourself as we look at your word, as we look at Ephesians this morning. Have free reign to work here in this place. It's your name we pray. Amen. Um, so Ephesians is, is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I have a couple life verses in Ephesians that... Um, are kind of always on deck. One of them is Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. My dad, in calligraphy by hand, had written it, and he put it on this piece of paper. And do you guys remember bunk beds? <laughs> so um, I've, got, I've got two brothers and a sister, uh, but, you know, all the boys were in, like, one room. And, um, and we had bunk beds and, and, like, a little trundle bed. So, like, my brothers and I would fight over who gets to be on the, the, the bunk bed, which is a twin bed, but it was, like, so much bigger than the other, the third bed. And, uh, but right there on the, on the second one, as you walked into our room, uh, was right there. My dad had put this little, like, I think it was like a harp he'd kind of drawn, and it was like blue and it was yellow. 
and the print was in this like really thick, bold, black print. You know, it said, you know, make the most of the, uh, walk therefore not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time for the days are evil. Um, and I, just, I remember my dad drilling that into our heads as, as kids over and over uh, to the point where if I think if I ever forgot, like if I forget that verse, then it's time to commit me because um, uh, it, is, it is emblazoned and stuck in there. Um, <clears throat> but this morning, um, when I was thinking about what, what to kind of share, and, and I think the Lord put in my heart uh, out of Ephesians, and there's, I think at, at first I was like, oh, we'll cover all of the Ephesians, and it's, man, there's so much in, in that book. Um, and so we're probably going to look at probably like the first four chapters, and we're going to take this like whistle-stop tour through different uh, verses, and we we'll am try to cram all that together uh, into kind of what, what I think the Lord wants to speak to us about today. And so um, Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I put dead people walking. I think Joanna mentioned that, Christine, you talked about the walking dead. It was like one of my like, favorite shows, but there's this concept of, of dead people walking. It says, we're walking in sin, and, 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 and the, the concept of walking is this active choice, right? It's this step-by-step, step, right? And, you know, it's like, if you, if you go to the, like, the track, you see the different walkers, right? You have people who are walking really slow, and you've got the speed walkers who think they're like pro walkers, like it's going to be in the Olympics next year or something like that. And, and, uh, but no matter the speed, they're all walking, right? But, but it's this constant choice, like the step after step. And this is what, what Paul is trying to tell us in the beginning. He says um, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, in which we once walked. We actively were choosing step by step to walk in our, our trespasses and our sin. And he talks about that's the, the course of this world, the way of this world. The theologian John Stott wrote, says both words, when talking about course of this world, express a whole social value system, which is alien to God. It permeates, indeed dominates non-Christian society and holds people in captivity, wherever human beings are being dehumanized by political oppression or bureaucratic tyranny, by an outlook that is secular, immoral, or materialistic, by poverty, hunger, or unemployment, by racial discrimination, or by any form of injustice, there we can detect the subhuman values of this age and this world. Now, we read that. What, what I wanted to solidify is there's, we can't get away from that. We are, we are dead. Okay, there can be no doubt. I can never make enough money. I can never sing well enough. I can never, even the things that I am proud of, I can never be a good enough father or a good enough husband or you can insert whatever you want in there. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves alive. Well, you're like, well, Eli, you're like, I'm breathing, I'm here, but we're, we're talking about in the spiritual sense. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make us alive. And then in, um, in verse four of the same chapter, it starts off, with the word but. Now, the English language is amazing. I, I was trying to think of, is there anything in the Samoan language? You know, I'm, I'm Samoan. It's, it's one of the other languages I, we're just talking about this, or my Samoan is terrible right now because I never use it. But the word but in the English language is pretty amazing when you think about it because you can say all of these other things. Like, I have an eight-year-old now, right? And, and, and he'll say all these things, da, 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 but you know, it was an accident. 
You know, but it's almost like you can put all these other things there. And then you, you like this interjection, you put but, and then it's kind of like, if you let it hang in the air, and, it's, it, and we know it now, right? And it's like, because whatever is said right after that word kind of cancels everything out before that. And so everything that Paul's saying, says, you know, we're dead, we once walked, we were choosing to walk in our trespasses and sin according to the course of this world. And it says, but God. God steps in and all these other things that we're talking about, this dead and this choosing to walk in our sin no longer exists anymore. And, and, and that, that brings us to our first point I wanted to make today. What Christ has done must determine our identity. In Ephesians uh, 2, 4, we'll read that whole thing. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's amazing. I'm also like, you should put this down, like, just go home now. You were dead, but God has made you alive. When we're talking about gospel, there's no other better news than that. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so if, if we were dead, now we're made alive, our, our trespasses, our sins are now forgiven. You know, Paul brings us back into that, to verse 2.10. It starts off, it says, we are his workmanship, now, workmanship, the, the Greek word that is used there is poema, which is, is where we get our, our English word poem. It's a work of art. It's, it's craftsmanship. It says that, that we are God's workmanship. Now, again, I mentioned Ezekiel, my eight-year-old. We have, man, we have his artwork all over the place. It's like up on the wall. He discovered blue tape a couple of years ago, and it's just everything he can think of goes up there. And it's, it's amazing the things that, that make it up there, right? Like as, as an adult, some of the things he'll put up there, I'm like, why? It's just like, it'll be like a scribble of a bunny. And then he'll do this like amazing piece of art that like he spent a lot of, and then it like, it won't make it up on the wall. He's like, like, and I'll see it like a week later. It's kind of like it's in one of his, he's got way too many drawers in his room and just everything gets stuffed in there. Um, it constantly looks like a tornado hit it. But that's what we are. God, we are God's workmanship. Now, Ezekiel's artwork, you're not going to see any of that museum. But one of the things we, we will see is Mona Lisa. My wife and my sister-in-law, we just watched this movie, Glass, Glass Onion. It's like this murder mystery. And, and the Mona Lisa is there, like this private guy. Is like, the story is like he's bought it. And it's like in his home. and uh, It plays this central theme. So if you're going to watch, I'm not going to ruin it. But... Um, you know, like, we consider that fine art, right? And it's like, it's on display. People travel from all over the world to see this thing. I've never personally seen it. I've seen pictures of it. Uh, but the, one of the things, the lines in the movie, the, there's, like, all these safety features and this glass window goes up if, like, even it hears a pen click because, you know, they're trying to, you know, protect it. And, um, and, and he's at the scene where he's, like, constantly pulling the glass, even though it's, it's glass. And he's like, no, you have to be able to see it, like, right in front of you. Uh, and, and he talks about how it moves him and... And, and all these things, and, um, and, and again, I've, I've never seen it, but I've seen pictures of it, and um, it has sparked endless discussions, you know, about that. And when we talk about other uh, pieces of, of art, you know, things that were created, I was into poetry a lot in, in um, high school and 
and even in college, and I don't study as much, but one of my favorite authors, uh, Lord Byron, I think his name is George, it's his pen name, I think his real name is George, I think it's Gordon? That's a NASCAR driver, right? But he, he writes this poem, and she walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright, meeting her aspect and her eyes, which heaven to gaudy day denies. Um, one shade the more, one ray the less, would half impair that nameless grace. And it, it, it goes on from there. But this, this poem, I haven't read that poem in, in, in years, but I remember the, the feelings it evoked, you know, and then trying to pretend like I wrote it to give to like a girl I was interested in. You know, yeah, I wrote this, and I did it. Um, sorry, babe. But these, these amazing pieces of art, they kind of stand the test of time, and they continue to remain uh, with us. And, and the, the great thing about these pieces of art, whether it's written, whether it's, some, it's a painting or, or anything else, like sculpture, it's the author alone, the artist, the author, the creator, who can tell you what it's truly worth. Now, there might be people that can kind of you know, put a dollar sign to it, like you would probably see some of Ezekiel's artwork, and I would... I wouldn't trade it for the world, and you'd probably look at it and be like, I'll give you a penny for it. But the author alone really is the one that can tell you what the value is. They can tell you what it really means, what their intent and their purpose behind creating this, this piece of art. And again, people will spend hours, we talk about the Mona Lisa, and we talk about the smile, and, and all these things. And in fact, there's this you know, huge cost, people are like talking about it, and there's supposed to be some like second Mona Lisa that's of a, of a, I don't know. There's, there's things that people are constantly searching for the meaning behind these things. Like, why was this created? And what's going on? And, and the author alone is, like, again, we can, we can make guesses and however educated, but we'll never really know, you know, unless the author has, has told us. And in the same way, when we, we look at ourselves, if we are God's workmanship, but we're his artwork, you know, we're talking about God who, He's the one from whom, like, all creativity, the ability to create originates from him, and he's fashioned us. We are his artwork. He alone gets to tell us what our value is. He alone sets our identity. As much as we want to say we're, you know, we're self-made people, and we do these things, and I identify this way, and, and, and that, it is Christ alone who sets our identity. So if we are God's workmanship, and he's set our identities, tell us, you know, this is your value this is who you are, then it would stand to reason that there's a plan. This creator has a plan for us. And the and, and and second point I wanted to bring up today is what Christ is doing determines our purpose. What Christ in the world right now is, determines our purpose. In uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 8, the last part of 8 into 10, it says, In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And the first part of the verse talks about the mystery of his will. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the church and kind of grew up, my dad was a pastor and, you know, I'd, I'd read all kinds of passages and just would sit there and just nothing, like, this makes no sense. If, if you did our, our, our um, Sunday school, uh, our adult Sunday school, the last session uh, in, in December, there were some really amazing aha moments as, as um, Scott kind of unpacked some of these scriptural things and, and, and things that we thought we believed or, or thought we knew about them. As he kind of like sheds new light on it, we were like, wow, I can't believe I totally, like, in a lot of ways, misinterpreted this portion of scripture. And, and, and you know, it's like, oh, we see the mystery. I'm like, oh, well, it's kind of hard to 
to, to figure out. But Paul kind of tells us, not kind of, Paul tells us in, in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, this mystery, like it's one of those moments like, oh, it's there. We know exactly what he's talking about. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So when we're talking about this mystery, Paul tells us what that mystery is. So the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Again, when we are, are talking about that, that's, that's where we come in. You know, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not one of God's like, chosen people in that way. But, but because of Christ, now the Gentiles are, gra- Gentiles are grafted in. So now we're placed on this, this in accordance of like inheritance. Now we're on the same, same field. And so, and then later on it says uh, in that verse, there's a plan for the fullness of time. And it says to unite. It says in him, in all things, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so Christ has come to gather up all things, things in heaven and, and things on earth. And, you know, I, I grew up in the church and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually heard someone actually kind of say this as well, that for a place that we're, we're all destined to go and excited to go, we don't talk about it very much. When we talk about heaven, I don't hear a lot of, we don't hear a lot of teachings on it. In fact, a couple of years ago, we put this kind of theory to test me and some of my peers, some of the young men who are in ministry and people who know scripture, you know, around my age and way better than I do. And we kind of had this test about like, you know, what are the things we know about heaven? You know, the crystal sea and the you know, streets of gold. And then we started, it was this trivia thing and we were amazed. And it's, just, it's like kind of this like gospel song and it's every time I think of heaven that that song is on the you know the soundtrack in my in my head and and I think one of the the reasons we hear on on earth not necessarily in the church but but we have this tendency to kind of keep you know those things separate and you know some some of it's about life and we you know we think of heaven kind of as an end of life thing you know and uh, even as I get older I kind of want to like continue to push the thoughts of end of life, like far, far away, even though I'm probably closer to that than I was, you know, 10 years ago. And, um, and, and also in, in the secular sense, we, we, you know, we kind of, you know, heaven is, you know, where, where God dwells and we want to keep that kind of separate and the thought separate from the earth because, you know, in, in a way we get to govern ourselves. We get to run the, the earth the way we want. And, and in this, this kind of this, this pursuit of trying to keep earth and heaven separate, but, but here we see that Christ came to unite all of these things, and, and I think one of the, the, the problems with that, uh, if we really think about it, is, is you know, even as, as we continue to push those things off, um, you know, we, as, as believers, you know, as followers who no longer walk in darkness but now walk in the light, we kind of we've closed our hearts. You know, we, we, we've closed our homes. Sometimes we even close the doors of our church to the world. And, 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 and yeah, there, there's this concept of we need, yeah, we need to guard our hearts. And, and, you know, I think one of the things, you know, I always heard growing up, you know, in the world, but not of the world. But we've gotten to the point where we've pushed the world so far away that we've completely alienated ourselves from the world. And, you know, some of it, I think, is, you know, for this imagined false sense of, of, of holiness. You know, we, I think... And I say that because I've done that. I'm like, well, if you know, if people see my brokenness, like, then they're gonna, they're gonna look at Jesus and you know think Jesus, is, you know, some of this. But but when we talked earlier, if if this is the 
This is the actual truth. Jesus sets our identity. We don't set Jesus' identity. Jesus will always be holy, period. And, and, and so sometimes this, you know, we have filled this in like, I got to protect the name of, of Jesus. And, and yes, it's great to conduct ourselves in, in a way. And we're going to talk about it literally. I'm getting totally ahead of myself. But not to the point where we're starting to alienate the world. And things of the world and the people in the world that God wants to talk the people that are now in darkness that God wants to bring into the light. It's kind of like if we were in line, you know, to get into this, like, this party. And it's only exclusive in that it just, you need a password to get in. And, and the party planners are like, you know, give everyone the password. We want as many people there as we want. And, you know, and there's, you know, a group of people who are like, nope, we, you know, like, only, you know, we, we want to keep this password to ourselves. And, you know, not everyone in, but that, that's not the purpose of it. And, 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 and Jesus is, is made for us to share. You know, it's, as believers, as followers, we have, we have the keys to the kingdom and, and, and we have this calling to be able to, to share Jesus with the world. And in a lot of ways, we kind of, for whatever our reasons, and, and, and I don't think, you know, there are, they started off malicious or it was intentional, but I think after a certain time, we get so used to kind of pushing these things and we got to keep sin away and, and these things that we, we kind of lump people into that group with their sin and say, Sorry, like, you know, we, we got to be here. You know, but if we are honest with ourselves, we the believers are, we're imperfect people in whom a perfect God has chosen to dwell. You know, we talk about this, we were all dead. You know, that's, that's all of us. And the only difference is you know, we've, we've allowed God to intervene in our lives. N.T. Wright talks about this. He calls it a split-level eschatology. He says, we will leave earth to go to heaven, but the last great scene in Revelations is not about people leaving earth to go to heaven, but it's actually about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and established, being established here on earth. And so that the, the two halves of God's creation, heaven and earth, now become one. And, and the amazing thing about Jesus' work on the cross, those things have already, have already happened. God has kind of already launched this mission and we're waiting for the fruition of all of that. And so... If, if that's the case, then we as followers, are, we're called to live according to that truth. You know, not, you're going to be like, well, yeah, we, we look around the world and like, you know, it's just, what do you mean? You know, heaven, heaven on earth, this, this unity between the two. And uh, it's really easy to see, well, you, know, you can watch the news. You can talk about all the things going on in the world and just be disheartened by everything. And, and, and I tend to think of it this way. My, my wife and I, we got married in Hawaii. Uh, at this place, actually, she, most people are like, oh, did you guys get married there because you're from Hawaii? And that's where, and actually, Amy, before we even met, had seen this, this place. I don't know if she'd gone there or if she saw it on the news or what. And I, of course, I'm a little biased, but I, I think our photos were absolutely amazing. We had this amazing sunset. It's right there on the beach. It's a, you know, really exclusive place. It actually belongs to the kings and queens of Hawaii. And it was kind of like their retreat place, but it's, it's uh, called Lani Kuhonua. It's a tongue twister for some of you, but Lani Kuhono, but it, but it, but it literally means where, where heaven meets earth or where heaven touches earth. And, and for that day when we got married, that's kind of what it, what it felt like. And, and, I, and I tend to think of this, that concept of that in us, if Christ is in us, in a world that's lost and in darkness, you know, part of our, our purpose is this touchstone between heaven and earth. 
You know, if, if Christ is in you and you're ambassadors for Christ, like in you in those moments where you're, you're, you're talking with people, you're witnessing to people, you know, they get this, they get this glimpse of heaven of Jesus through you. In Ephesians 2, uh, 13 and 14, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, if, if Jesus' purpose is to unite, and we talked about you know, being this touchstone, this, this place where heaven meets earth for, for, the, for the lost and those who continue to walk in darkness. You know, we see Jesus breaking down this, this wall of hostility. And you know, we, we talk about the work of the cross. And Jesus breaks down this hostility between, between God and man. Breaks down this wall of separation, this what divides us, which is our sin. Jesus, and, and Paul teases, further teases out this fact that you know, he's dealing with Jewish people and the Gentiles. Right? And so he further teases out the fact that, that Jesus' work also deals with the hostility between the Jewish people and the non-Jew, or the non-Jewish person, which is, which is all of us, which are the Gentiles. And, and it says that, that in the same way that Jesus broken down this wall of hostility between us and God because of our sin, that this wall of hostility between the Jewish people and the Gentiles is also torn down. And, and we see Jesus uniting, right? He's, he's bringing us together. You know, we talked earlier about the, the way of the world. You know, kind of we, we, in some ways, we do this naturally. You know, we, kind of t- we start to divide ourselves based on our, you know, our, our beliefs, you know, sometimes our social status, right? Like, and if, I, I remember high school. You know, and, and kind of, you know, where do you, you fall in? Are you with, you know, with the jocks? Are you with the you know, smart people? Are you, are you popular? And you know, even talking with, with um, my wife about her high school, she went to Torrance High. And you know, we've met some people over the years who, who were in school at the same time. And like, oh, do you, who do you know? And, and, and where, where did you kind of fall in? And, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, we didn't know each other. And, uh, and I have friends uh, in high school who, if anyone from my high school, if I mention them, everyone knows who they are you know, for whatever reason. And you know, in some ways, I got to, like, ride their cold tears of, of their popularity. Uh, I, myself, was not popular. I just had friends who were, who were popular. So I got to, like, kind of chill uh, in, in that way with the crowd. But we, we start to divide ourselves, you know, and, and according to the course of this world, we, we start to let our diversity and the, and the differences amongst us separate us, right? And, and that's not what we're called to. We're, we're, we're called to be like, like Christ. If, if he's coming to unite you know, and in fact, you know, the differences should actually bring us together. And I think that's, that's one of the unique challenges uh, that, that we as followers of Christ, uh, I think we've been uniquely designed and created to address, you know, through the power of, of Christ. You know, the things that the world would allow us to separate on, you know, and I'm not even trying to get political, but, you know, one of the hot topics right now is, is race. Very easily we see how divisive that is without people even trying. But if we were God's workmanship and we find our identity in Christ, those things should not separate us. Right? And we as the church, we have Jesus, we have the answer to that. And, and, and again, if, and if we're kind of trying to keep the world at, at bay, you know, further than arm's distance, you know, and it's almost like, you know, we're kind of like, oh, we're, we're going to be over here. We're, we're, it's almost like we're paying for front row tickets to watch the world explode. Um, <clears throat> my... My son got this, 
um, puzzle last week for Christmas, and it's, um, it's Pokemon, which is the Pokemon puzzle, which is, apparently is a thing with kids. Are there any, any adults here? That are in, like, I think some of the millennials are like, still in Pokemon. Uh, I'm on the tail end of millennials, I, and I, I didn't grow up here, so I have no idea what Pokemon are or are there, are there names. And my eight-year-old, like, I can't even get him to remember math facts. Like, okay, some of these things you've got to memorize. Seven plus eight, you know, is 15. Like, you've got you like, you to memorize these things. And I can't get him to memorize that, but, but he'll, he, the other day he got this thing, I don't even know, Volterix, which sounds like a, like a vampire in Tourette's or something, but it's just like, oh yeah, he morphs into, you know, Broccolidon. I, like, whatever, like these just random names. And, and I'm like, wait, you can remember that? But you can't remember, like, things that will actually be useful for you as an adult that will probably save your life. And it's, man, it's just amazing. Like, you know, we've seen videos of people on their phones and this Pokemon Go, like people walking into fountains um, because they're just, you know, looking at their phone like, I think they're trying to catch Pokemon. Like, I think they're, I don't know. Anyways, he's, he's got this puzzle. And for those of you church that gave him Pokemon things, thank you. And I'm sure he'll, he'll probably get older and not remember any of this, but he got a puzzle. And, and so he and Amy started putting, I think it's like, I don't know, like a thousand pieces. And um, they started putting together and, and um, you know, Amy's like teaching him how to do a puzzle. And like Pikachu is like the main character is like kind of bigger in the puzzle. And, and they start, you know, p- piecing it together. And, and then I walked up and, and I remember doing puzzles as kids. We'd, I lived on an island where, you know, not a lot of TV and things like that. So we, we played a ton of board games as a as a family, we did a lot of puzzles. And I was like, no, 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 you gotta start with the corners. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, there's only four of them. You start with the corners. And that, that was like the way I was taught to, to put these puzzles together. And, um, and, you know, so Ezekiel goes and finds these, these pieces. And wouldn't it be a, a sad thing to think about if, you know, I'm like, hey, you gotta find these four pieces, these four corners. And then I just, I grab those four corners and I walk with, these are the most important pieces. And then I walked away with that. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a puzzle. It'd be foolish, right? Like, we, like that doesn't make Eli. There's a, you know, there's, you know, several hundred more. I can't do math right now in my head. There's there's 994, 96, you know, pieces left like on the table. And you're you're gonna walk away with four. But like I was taught, like okay, these are the four pieces that you start with. And and we tend to think of, you know, life in 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 that way, right? And in some ways, we have like only a very limited understanding and. Like, well, these are the, the most important pieces, but you know, if you took that, you know, and they're off on their own, they, they'd always be incomplete. This puzzle would never, never be finished. In fact, you'd never know what it's supposed to look like if, if you only had those, those four pieces. And, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the Mona Lisa earlier, you know, and it's almost this, this concept of, of, you know, if, if we were to take the Mona Lisa and like, you know what, this part... This little inch over here in the corner is the most important part. You know, we you know, walked up to Da Vinci and said, like, this is, this is it. it you know, we look at him like, what, what's, what's wrong with you? You can't, like, take these things out of, out of the hole because they all make, make a part. And, and one of the things that Paul's talking about is, is being, being one body. And, and there's diversity in that. It's not uniformity where we are all exactly the same follower. We're exactly the same person. You know, we have the same set of beliefs, but, but, but Christ has made you uniquely yourselves. There's, there's skills and talents that, that you have that I don't. You know, 
I have you know, very few talents. One of them is I can sing and I kind of play guitar and, and, and I love leading people in worship. Uh, I don't, like teaching and some of these other things, like, eh, not, really my, not really my bag. But, but each of you have unique giftings that God has given you and this diversity is, is intentional. And it, it's, it's meant for the church as a whole as we unite together that we, we get this whole picture. And the whole picture is Christ and, our, and the goal is for us to show that to a world. But if we allow this diversity or whatever the things that we want to choose, the things that make us different, and we follow the course of the world, we, use that, we allow that to separate us, it continues to remain incomplete. And have you guys, how many of you have ever been to a place and seen like an incomplete puzzle? Kind of walk away from it, right? And, or what was the other thing we do? We go and look for the box, because on the box is a picture. You know, so if we continue to allow ourselves to be divided on the things that we see as different. There's no longer a complete picture and we kind of, the world just passes it by. Or maybe you get some of the pictures and some of the pieces together, kind of like the puzzle right now is half finished and you know what? I think I get the general gist of, of all this and yeah, it's, it's not really done, but you know, we're going we're gonna to take these pieces kind of over here and keep them here and you know what? The other pieces aren't, you know, as important. Some of them are of the sky, so it's just like one color you know, or one tone. But again, it's still incomplete. So again, these, these things that make us different, that God purposely has designed in us, if we allow them to, if we continue to walk in the course of the world, they separate us rather than unite us. And my, my, my challenge to you is church, you know, like that word, Lani Kuhonu, where, where heaven meets, meets earth. Are you this touchstone? And I, I want to encourage you not to close your hearts, not to close your doors that we wouldn't close the doors of our church to the world because, oh, they're, they're different. God wants them to come to the light. Um, Ephesians 4, and I'll, and I'll close with this, 1 through 3. And, and Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we see that word walk. And if you, if you read through Ephesians, which I would encourage you to do later because I'm absolutely butchering it right now, Paul used that continuously, this, this word walk, right? What's that song? Like these boots are made for walking. It's just like, you know, one, one step, one foot right in front of the other. And this, this conscious, intentional choice. And so we once walked according to the course of this world in darkness. And Paul's now, now that we've talked about this, but God, and now we're made alive, now it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You are God's workmanship. You're his, you're his art. And like in a museum, it's, it's meant to be seen. Can you imagine if the, the Mona Lisa just like, stayed in some closet somewhere? You know, if you're into musical instruments, like the, the Stradivarius, like one of the most, I think the record for the most expensive instrument ever sold is one of these, I think was was in a lady's closet somewhere. You know, and, and then you, you hear... You know, someone, you know, this first chair violinist, and they, and they play on this thing. And, and, and you look around the room, and you watch people, they're moved to tears, like over, the, the, over this, the sound of this instrument. You know, or, or they see this artwork, and they're just moved to tears, or there's endless discussion about it. Church, those things pale in comparison to what God is doing in your lives. You're his artwork, and Christ is calling you to unite to display his love. And he wants to use you for that. 
And I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go into it. But, but later on in Ephesians, and I'm going to encourage you to go through it, Paul talks about how we're able to do that through the power of his spirit. And so if there's this, this hesitancy, like, ah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if, I, these meant, if these gifts that I think I have are, are meant for, for purpose, you know, to, to unite you know, heaven and earth. God has empowered you to do those things. And the power is in you through Christ, through the Spirit. These are all things that God has given you. And it's so easy. It's just that first step. So walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's one step in front of the other. Um, when I started leading worship, I, I, I knew I was called to it. And um, I was like 14 when I started leading in the church. And, and I remember, you know, I'd been playing for a couple years. And, and I remember being there with the worship team, and everybody was older than me. I was 14. You know, some of these people I, I looked up to, and I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to lead these people? Like, in, in a practice? And um, I, I remember just kind of, like, shriveling up. I had my birthday party the other day, and we were talking about, like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. It, like, things like that are drained for me. Like, I'm going to go home after this and, like, sleep for, like, six hours. <laughs> and, it, it, and I remember after the practice, you know, my senior pastor, who's like, who's like my dad. Um, he and my dad are like, you know, really, really, really great friends. And, you know, I spent a lot of time when I grew up with his, with his sons. And he pulled me aside and, and I was thinking like, oh yeah, I'm getting it, you know, some encouragement. And he just like lit into me. Um, and, and, you know, talked about like, you know, a lot of this is your pride. And, your, your, and I just remember I, I cried. And like some of the worship team was like kind of like, I was, we're kind of separate, but like milling around and kind of in, in the building. And I'm just like 14 years old. I'm like crying my eyes out. And I, I was ready to be done. You know, and kind of in that moment. And, you know, and, and I look back on, on the things that God has been able to do in and through me. Because, you know, after that, I just, I'm like, you know what? I'll just take another small step and another one. I'm going to continue to walk in those things. And, and, the things that I've been able to do over, over the course of, you know, my 40 years, and now maybe about, you know, 20, 20 some years uh, in ministry and leading worship, and, and the, the lives that I've been able to touch, and I'm not trying to, um, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but like, man, I look back and, and I'm like, man, God, that is absolutely amazing things you've enabled me to do, but if, if, you know, at 14, I decided, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's too hard. You know, I wouldn't be able to look back fondly on, and see the things that God has, has, has worked out through my life. And so that's, that's my desire for, for each of you as God's huima, as God's workmanship, this beautiful artwork that you would continue to walk in a manner worthy of his calling that God would use you mightily. And I don't say that because I'm on staff here and we need people to help us out. We're saying this is what it means to be, to be kingdom builders. Again, into to a world that's lost. We talked about this earlier. Like, oh, I can, like, what do you mean heaven on earth and all this? And I can look at the news and, man, within us dwells the answer to all of these things. The world will look at these differences and divide us. And we as believers come in and say, no, these differences shouldn't unite us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have created us, Lord. Lord, that on us is, you know, as, 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 as the great creator is, is, your, is your signature, your fingerprints. So Lord, as corporately as a church, as individually as, as believers, as followers of you, Lord, we, 
We ask, Lord, that we, you would continue to use us now moving forward more than ever before, that you would use us to unite, to bring unity and not division in, in, to a world that is constantly dividing itself. Lord, that we would walk not according to the course of this world, but according to your plan. So, Father, we, we offer up ourselves, our gifts, humble as they are, to you. And ask, Lord, would you use us mightily? It's your name we pray. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.